0: So, wow, can you guys hear me loud enough? Today is week three in our series of Ruth. It's been an interesting uh, walk through this book so far, for those of you who've been here since the beginning. And uh, in the beginning, at at the first week, I kind of compared or likened the book of Ruth to that of a play, as any good play, or, or yeah, a play that's well written. It's, uh, it's wonderfully written, it's wonderfully put together and well written, and each chapter is set kind of as an act in a play, and so I want to kind of just remind you guys of that, and each, uh, each act is well thought out. It has a, a scene, it has a background, it has a purpose all in itself, and so we can kind of tie that in, which is why we're doing this chapter by chapter. We're kind of looking at this act by act as we kind of go through this uh, narrative that's again like a play. And uh, but, of course, this book is more than just a story it 's not something made up uh, it 's something it 's a documented uh, events of real people. This really happened. This is uh, something that we can kind of try to also take into account when we 're reading this story that these are real people. These are real events that happen. the bible 's filled with those kinds of things with real people and real events. And this is important because they dealt with real issues and real things that we can adapt to our lives today, and learn from, and grow from, and apply to our lives today. And I've I've really enjoyed reading through this book. Uh, I've read through it a lot now since I started uh, preparing for this series, and um, I've just enjoyed seeing it again as a whole, as as a whole kind of play, as this event is unfolding, and also. Uh, the more I read it, the deeper I seem to go into the story and finding more and more things that I didn't notice before. And at the start, I also challenged you guys, for those of you who were here the first week, to read through the Book of Ruth once a week with me. Uh, and uh, I did anybody read Anybody read through the Book of Ruth? Oh, got, got, a, got a few hands there. Sorry, right. some of you might not have been here. It's okay, it's no judgment. Uh, but I'll encourage you again, I'll challenge you again, to read through the whole book from beginning to end, it's very, very short. It doesn't take more than 20, 30 minutes. And uh, I, I believe it's something that can encourage you and strengthen you in seeing how God works behind the scenes, seeing how God works when he isn't so prevalent. He's not coming in and, with a booming voice, but working in the background and kind of leading and guiding people through his sovereignty and his providence. And so I encourage you again, I'm not, it's not for me that I'm asking you to read it, it's for you, uh, so I will again just challenge you guys and encourage you to take time, read through this story. Now for those of you that weren't here the last few weeks, and for the rest of us, let's recap the first two acts, act one and act two of our play, as it were, as or chapter one and chapter two of the book of Ruth. So act one. Act one opens with a tragedy, setting this story to be written as a comedy, starting off with a tragedy and ending with a happy ending. So first we're introduced to Naomi. Naomi is a very important character. She's not the main focus of the book, obviously. It's called the book of Ruth, not the book of Naomi. But she's the driving force behind all of the forward momentum and movement throughout the narrative. She's always in the background, always kind of uh playing her part, playing a role in how the story moves forward, as we see a lot as she is very prominent in setting things in emotion in our text today, so we meet her first uh, at the start of the book, which I kind of pointed out as pretty significant in the Bible to see a book that is so prominently. Uh, puts a woman not only as a centerpiece, as a character, but also showing it from her perspective. We see what the women are talking about, as we see in the text we looked at today, uh, kind of seeing their perspective, how things are playing out from a woman's perspective, which is uh, rare in the Old Testament narratives. So she's not the main focus, but again, the driving force, and we meet her at the beginning, but she also is at the end, and the book concludes with showing us how God has worked through her For Ruth and Boaz and also for her good and all that has happened to her in the midst of her tragedy. And the tragedy is, it begins where Naomi has just lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. She's in a foreign land. They had moved there because there was a a famine in the land of Israel. So they go to try to seek refuge and find food in a foreign land. And now she's alone. She's lost her husband, lost her sons. And she's there with just the wives of her sons, which were foreign women Moabites Moabite women of that region where they were and then news reaches her that God has come to the aid of his people he's come to the aid of Israel uh, by providing food again so she decides it's time to return home one of her daughter-in-law's one of her daughter's (laughs) in-law leaves her at this point goes back to be with her own family but Ruth clung to her and we looked at how Ruth's clinging to her was such a, an image of, of love and loyalty uh, and, the, and the relationship that must have developed in the time that they had known each other. So they arrived together back in Israel, but Naomi's in despair. She's at a low point in her life, and she tells the people, don't call me Naomi, because the name Naomi means pleasant. She says, things aren't pleasant for me. Things aren't going good for me. Call me Mara, which means Bitter. She said, the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. Look at all that I've been through, all that I've lost. I left this land full. I had everything. I had a family and everything was going well and I've come back empty. She feels she's at the bottom and has no hope left. And that's the end of Act 1. But at the very end, the last verse says that it was the time of the barley harvest. And this is the transition into Act 2. The author is kind of hinting at what's to come. And what God is going to use in order to bring them back under his wing. A bit of a cliffhanger. So then in Act 2, God's providence is revealed. But so subtle, it's almost overlooked. It's almost missed. In verse 3 of chapter 2, it says that Ruth just happened to end up in the field belonging to Boaz. She just happened to end up there. She was with her mother-in-law. They need to eat. They have to have food. So she said, I'm going to go out and glean in the fields, which is what the people would do, the, the poor, the widows. Uh, they would follow the people that were harvesting, and they were, the, by law, the harvesters were not supposed to pick up whatever fell to the ground, and that was to be left for the widows and for the poor. And so this is what she was doing, and she just happens to end up in the field belonging to Boaz. Now, if we've read the whole story all together, we, can, we know that, well, of course it wasn't that she just happened to end up there. It was God. It was God's providence. It was God working behind the scenes for her good. We know the story, but the author wants us to feel the uncertainty of the characters themselves. They don't know what's going on. It's, is this a coincidence? Is this, did we just happen to end up here? They're not seeing the whole picture. There's a bit of uncertainty as there's this crossroad of seeing a bleak future ahead and not knowing what exactly this means. And when we reach, we looked at how when we reach a crossroad of uncertainty in our lives, we never know what's around the corner. We never know where we just happen to end up. What field we might just happen to end up in. And in this, we can choose. When we're in these points of uncertainty, we can choose to not have fear but to trust in the Lord, to trust in him that he is for us, that he is working out things for our good. He is working out the things for good for our lives today. And last week we also saw as a reminder what uh, Paul says, that God works all things out for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. At times it's though through the most ordinary of situations, It was through a barley field that she just happened to pick that God worked his sovereignty, worked things out for her good, for both of their good in the end. And through, it's sometimes through people that we've forgotten. We looked at in Act 1, Naomi had forgotten about Boaz. She forgot. She told Ruth, there is no hope. If you come with me, there's nobody. I don't have any sons. I'm not going to have any more sons. Even if I did, they'd be babies for her too long for you to wait. There's no hope. She had forgotten about Boaz. She saw a hopeless and empty future ahead of them. But what was the key transition then from Act 1 into Act 2? What brought Naomi out of this place of feeling empty, feeling bitter, feeling without hope into Act 3 where we see a bit of a different Naomi? It was hope. It was hope that changed Naomi's outlook, that changed the way that she saw her situation. It was hope. Hope is the beginning of our restoration. It is hope that we must cling to in order to move forward and to be transformed. And she had forgotten Boaz. She had forgotten the hope that she had all the time. She had lost her hope. And then, through the act of God by Ruth just so happen, happening upon that particular field on that particular day, being in the right place at the right time, now Naomi sees the silver lining. She sees the hope. And she sees that God's hand is behind the scenes. She has hope again. So let's look at Act 3. Let's read verse 1 and see what hope immediately produces. When we see this transition from a hopelessness into a hope, there's an immediate change. Verse 1. One day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now this is, this is a totally new Naomi. If you remember the way that she was talking in chapter 1 this is not empty Naomi, this is not call me bitter Naomi, this is I can see the light Naomi, she has hope, and all of Acts 3, all of this whole chapter, we see the characters, and we'll see Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz moving from a kind of a passive righteousness, into an active righteousness, now we've We've seen that Naomi and Ruth, they trusted in the Lord. Even in the midst of their storm, in the midst of all the chaos, they didn't, they didn't denounce God, they didn't reject God, they believed in God, they, they called Him mighty, they called Him Lord, they called Him their Lord. That never ended, that never changed. They still had this righteous view of the Lord. But now that, now that God has set things in motion bringing them back to Israel, that was God that called them back. Putting Ruth and Boaz together in the right place at the right time, now it's time to move into action. It's time to be proactive in their righteousness. Naomi wants to do something. She doesn't want to just know and just believe. She says, I need to do something. I need to find you husband. We're called to live a righteous life. We know that. But what does that really mean, to live a righteous life? Most of us are going to immediately think, well, righteous living is passive righteousness. We may not say it that way, but we might immediately associate righteousness with what we don't do. Well, to live righteous, I shouldn't steal, I shouldn't murder anybody, I shouldn't covet, I shouldn't be jealous, I shouldn't sin. That's a righteous life, to avoid these things, but there's also active righteousness, there's taking the hope that God has given us, taking advantage of the situations he's put us in and the purpose that he's put us there for and moving forward with it. There's an active righteousness in that. And it's, it's the hope. Active righteousness is the actions we take. It's moving forward. It's the hope of a greater future. It's the hope in the promises of God that we can stand on from his word And it's the everyday hope that God is for us wherever we are. Wherever we are in our situation, God is right there with us and for us. And Naomi has found that through being reminded of Boaz. But ultimately, it's by the sovereign hand of God. This is why it's so important to have hope in our lives today. It is what drives us and pulls us ever forward in our walk with Christ, in our walk with the Lord, moving us into what He has next for us. So, before Naomi had no hope, she said, Call me bitter. Without hope, we can fall into this mindset of being the victim, a victim mentality. And when we do this, we become blinded. We become blinded to the things that God has for us all the time His grace. His mercy, His provision for us. And again, how He truly does work things out for our good, even when we don't see it, even when it seems like this is going the wrong direction. When we become victims, or we believe we're victims of the world and the circumstances of this world that have inflicted been inflicted upon us, we can forget the hope that we already have in god now naomi has a hope she sees through the storm and her response is not to sit and wait and see what happens next she gets to work and my hope for all of us today is that by the end of this message we'd be encouraged that the hope of christ would be rekindled within us because jesus I might even say this more than once, but Jesus is not old news. He is a new hope every day. Every day, Jesus is a new hope that we can cling to, stand firm on, and move forward with. Hope is so vital, but it's just the beginning. Sam shared last week about meeting his wife, Judith, and... I have a very similar story. I think any international couple has a pretty similar story of seeing how God's sovereignty seems to work and how just phenomenal it is to see people be brought together from so far apart. I, uh, I know that it's, when I look back now, I see God's providence. I see God's hand all the time bringing me to this particular city and in all the world. And that uh, there was a day that I was, I was working in a church and I was doing a, teaching a Bible study and that uh, Rebecca just so happened to come on the night that I was teaching. And it's, it's cool to see how God had kind of worked all these things out. It was clearly God. It, it wasn't that it just so happened. It wasn't a coincidence. God was at work in that. And I'm encouraged by that. But let me tell you, that is not the end of the story That's not the end of the story, is it? God brought us all together in the same room, but I had to actually go and talk to her. It wasn't like, all right, God brought us together. We're married now. There's like a gap between those two things. We have to do something. I had to actually go talk to her. I had to to take action. God set everything up. That's awesome. But if I had just waited, that moment would have just passed on by. Maybe he would have given me a second chance. I don't know. But I'm glad that I took the first one. (laughs) I had to do something. There's a point where we have to do something. God's providence is working for you. God put you where you are. God brought you to this place, this night, today, for a reason. God is at work. His providence extends into every aspect of our lives. There is no escaping it. You can't run from it. You can think you're running from it, but that's ludicrous. You're not getting anywhere. God's providence extends into every every atom in the universe. So we have this hope in trusting in that providence that he, as his children, we know he's for us and we can trust in Christ, but this is the start. This is the beginning. So know that God is for you and be aware of where he has put you and why he might have put you where you are. Be on the lookout, but... And don't be afraid to go the wrong way or make the wrong decision or to make a fool of yourself. God's gracious in those things. But don't just wait when God's putting everything together for you. You might just see something pass you by. We have to have a point of action. Now, Naomi's plan of action for Ruth is a pretty weird plan. If I was to say, when I look at it, I'd... Every time I read it, I just think, what a weird way to go about that. I'm just going to be honest. This is not the way to get a man if you're single, ladies. It's not the way. It worked one time. Don't, let's, not, let's not push our luck. I don't think it's a two. So let's just kind of re-go through what she first, what does she first tell Ruth to do? I'm paraphrasing here. She says, go go wash yourself, go take a shower, get cleaned up, shave your legs, go get your nails done, get all nice and cleaned up. Then she says, go and put on that dress that you know you look good in. She says, put on your best clothes, your best clothes. And then she says, put on that expensive perfume not the cheap stuff that you got on sale at Aldi, <laughs> not that stuff, the real stuff, come on. In other words, look your best. So, okay, that's a good start. There's nothing bad about that, something wrong or weird about that. I know when I first got the courage to go and talk to Rebecca, I definitely wanted to look my best. I didn't want to, you know, be unshowered and just be like, hey, what's up? It's not going to work. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a practicality to that part of the plan. But then it gets a little weird. She's like, okay, Boaz is going to be working late. So they were threshing. And what they would do is they would do this after dark. As I'm from Texas, hot climates, as soon as the sun goes down, every day it gets really, really windy right at dusk. It's very typical of hot climate places. And so because it was really windy, they would use that wind to kind of, they would th- uh, throw the wheat up or the grain up or the wheat up. And the chaff would blow away and the the grain would fall back down. This is how they would sort through it. It's very hard work. So he would have been tired. So she says, go there, but don't let him see you. Be sneaky. Pretty sure that's the original translation. Check it out. See what's going on. Wait till he's done working. He's tired. He's eaten and drank. And it's not talking about water. It's talking about wine. So he's a little bit he's feeling good he's like all right i'm i'm tired I feel it's a good day I'm ready to go lay down she says watch where he lays down and after he goes to sleep go and slip under the covers with him what what are you talking about naomi that's weird at his feet just slip under the covers at his feet it's weird stuff man again ladies not the best way to win a man and then she says, do whatever he tells you to do. He will tell you what to do. That's when I really get like the one eyebrow. Like what? I don't know about that. I mean, why? Why this way? Why, why do it this way? Why not just have a conversation with him? Why can't we just talk about this? The author's unclear. And in our modern minds, it might be like, uh, I have some ideas for what he might want to do what he might tell her to do. Why are you sleeping down there at my feet? Why don't you come up here? And Ruth tells Naomi, that was for you. (laughs) Ruth tells Naomi, I'll do it. I'll do everything as you say. She trusted Naomi. And Naomi, at any rate, is taking action. Right or wrong, we don't know. We don't know if this was the best way or the... We know how it ends... Maybe she was being led by God in this. Maybe she knew things that we don't know or that the author leaves uh, kind of a little bit uh, alludes to. We don't really know exactly what her intentions are exactly. It's a weird thing, though. It's not something we see often in the Bible. It's not like a regular story. But we do know one thing. If we look at verse 9 of chapter 1, it says she's telling her both of the of the daughter, daughters-in-law, may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And I think when we think about that, we can remember that even though Naomi seems to be putting Ruth in a very compromising situation, and this was extremely compromising at that time, this was a, a it was biblical law not to uh, fornicate, not to sleep with someone before marriage. And it seems to be just really setting up the, kind of a scene for that to happen but we know that Naomi is has Ruth's best in mind we know that she has she cares deeply for Ruth and and wants to see her find a husband wants to see this work out for her best and I believe again I believe that she knew things about Boaz that others maybe didn't see and we don't see yet <clears throat> together in the text And I think a part of this is because she was an older woman, so she had some kind of understanding. I mean, she had a husband, she had two sons, she's been around guys. She kind of has a bit of an older woman wisdom, I think, in how she is going about this, because she's so strategic in how she kind of uh, coaches Ruth through this. And I believe she could have. I believe she saw something in Boaz's character, and perceived something in his feelings that he had. For Ruth, before Ruth maybe even fully grasped it. So Ruth did all that her mother-in-law instructed. The scene is set now. She's all the way to this point. She's laying at the feet. It's dark. The stars are out. It's a nice cool breeze blowing. Maybe the moon rising up over the horizon. I don't know. Ruth is laying at, <laughs> Ruth is laying at Boaz's feet. When he's suddenly startled, we don't know what, something woke him up. He's like, he's awake, and he wakes to find this young woman at his feet. And there's this heavy pause. I think there's, you almost feel the pause when you read the text. As he wakes up, and in verse 9, who are you? Who are you? Now at this point, Ruth begins to take initiative. She's done everything that Naomi has prompted her to do up to this point. She trusted her. It's got her this far. But now it's Ruth's time for action. And the next events are from Ruth alone. And she says, I am your servant. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Now a lot of powerful things happened in that very small phrase I mentioned in the beginning of this series, Ruth doesn't talk a lot in the book. Everything she says is powerful and impactful for the story. What she's really asking is, will you propose to me? Will you ask, you need to ask me to marry you. And she's saying it in a very direct and uh, not asking, but kind of calling to action, requiring that he should do this. she's not permitted to ask him directly if if he would do this, but they both know what she's saying. They both know what is meant by what she said. And this whole scene is so dangerous. It's so interesting because it's so dangerous. Boaz could have rejected her right here. He could have ruined her reputation. Biblically, he could have even had her stoned for such an advance. Ruth is taking a bold action. (laughs) But Ruth is also a noble, godly, righteous woman. And the way that she words this is both purposeful and beautiful. And I want to look at that a little bit. <coughs> so this word servant, it's, there's a lot of words for servant in the Old Testament in Hebrew. And she chose a particular word. It's not slave. It's the kind of servant that would be a part of the household. A servant that would have, been, uh, would have had rights as a family member and would have even had rights to an inheritance. So one interesting thing is the way the word she uses for servant. And the other thing is corner of your garment. Sometimes it's translated uh, the hem of your skirt and other places under your wing. Different English translations do it differently. But it's the Hebrew word. It's the same Hebrew word that Boaz himself used not that long ago. In talking to Ruth, found in verse uh, chapter two, verse twelve, God bless you, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I don't think it's an accident that we see that exact same word used—the same word Boaz used in her coming under God's wing. She uses to ask him if she can come under his. And I think there's three things that she's expressing to him in this sentence. Number one, she is inviting Boaz to be the means of God's kindness, to be the means of God's refuge. Boaz himself, again, had used this word. He saw saw Ruth's loyalty to Naomi. He saw her faithfulness to God. And he he says, bless you that you're coming under God's wings, uh, under God's refuge, under God's protection. And Ruth is now inviting Boaz to be that means. That God could use him to be that refuge, to be that protection, to be that provider. And I think, this is, I think it's very interesting and very particular the way that she phrased that and very purposeful. He would have, maybe it might have clicked in his head. Number two, she is inviting him to answer his call to duty, a call to action. He is, in fact, in a position to redeem Ruth and Naomi through marrying Ruth and redeeming the property that would have, they would have uh, had kind of in limbo since neither of them could have claimed it. In Numbers 27.11, uh, I'll just read it really quickly. It um, if his father had no brothers, this is the law regarding this, give his inheritance to the nearest relative in his clan that he may possess it. This is to have the force of law for the Israelites as the Lord commanded Moses. So basically, and it's also in Deuteronomy, but the, the structure kind of would go that if, um, if a man died or if in Ruth's position, first the brother, one of the brothers... Uh, would have had the duty to do this. Then a an uncle, and then a cousin, and then finally a cousin or clan member of that community. We don't know exactly where Boaz fell, but uh, probably a little bit further, as we'll see later, there was someone else before him. So Ruth and Naomi could not own the land that uh, her husband had claimed to. And uh, the property would have gone, of course, to the sons, but, of course, they had both died, and Naomi had no other sons, so a relative of her husband had, to, had the duty to redeem the property and the inheritance, and with that, they would have had to marry Ruth. So that's another reason. She's calling him to action, calling him to step into the duty required by the law, but number three, I think, is most important is I believe that she loved him. I believe that she really deeply loved him and chose him specifically. She saw the good man that he was. Remember in 2.1, it says that he was a man of good standing. And in 2.4, Boaz greets his workers with a blessing and, and his, with this really warm, encouraging blessing. And I think there's something to that. This was right, this was done in front of Ruth. And let me tell you, you can tell a lot about somebody, especially somebody who's in authority, by how they treat their workers. And she saw that. She saw how kind he was, even to his servants and his workers, his hand workers. And in two eight, Boaz had told Ruth to stay there in those fields and offered her extra protection. He wants her close and he provides extra food for her and tells his workers to make sure you throw down a little extra for her and don't rebuke her and protect her and don't let no harm come to her. From the very moment he met her. And she noticed this. Noticed the man that he was. And I don't think she just, it wasn't just that she needed a redeemer. I think she wanted it to be him. She chose him. And Boaz's response tells us a lot about his character and his feelings towards Ruth. In verse 10, the Lord bless you, my daughter. I just want to point out, it's really weird that he always calls her daughter. Not sure what that's about. Read a lot of commentaries. No one seems to know. He just, that was his thing. Whatever. So, uh, if you were wondering. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. So, from this we know he is an older man. Most likely would have been in his 50s, maybe mid-50s. She would have most likely been in her early to mid-20s, She probably would have been married about 15 or 16, and we know that it was 10 years before her husband died, so about mid-20s. Quite a big difference. And I think he's truly surprised that Ruth would choose him. Boaz noticed her the moment that he laid eyes on her. When he had first come back from wherever he was, he noticed right away, he said, Who's that woman? Who does that woman belong to? In verse 5 of chapter 2. He noticed her right away. And then he shows these great kindnesses to her, again with the extra food and protection. In verse eleven he says, I will do I will do I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. What a quality. What a thing to have said about you. Everybody knows you're a woman of noble character. Ruth "...noticed the man that Boaz was, and Boaz noticed the woman that Ruth was. She is a godly, righteous woman, and the whole town can see it. And a good wife is a good thing, Proverbs thirty-one, ten, eleven. 11. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. Ruth was a catch. He saw that, and Boaz, I believe, loved her from these, these kindnesses that he showed to her. he didn't have those were all out of the ordinary things that he did. And he's surprised that she would love him too, that he, an older man, would find the love of a younger and yet noble and righteous and godly woman. In verse 12, it gets really confusing for me. he says. There is another who is more closely related than I. Dude, what are you doing? You're in. Leave it be, man. You're going to mess it up, man. I've, I, the like, third or fourth time I read that, I was like, wait, what? Why would you do that? You probably He didn't even know about Ruth. You didn't have to bring it to his attention. Boaz shows amazing restraint in this and i believe a strategic and active righteousness in going about this rightly he cares about her but he wants to do this in line with god's way sometimes we want to rush to the finish line when it starts to come in view we can start to kind of ah, if i just if i just made this little shortcut things would work out much quicker we have to be patient with god and trust in his ways and not make shortcuts that we know are a little bit on the edge of right or wrong in line with God's ways for us and God's best for us. So Boaz and Ruth, they loved each other. And they could have just went into a heated, passionate moment right there under the stars. But they wanted to be honoring of God and honoring of his laws and honoring of his best for his people. In verse 14... He says, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. And I just want to point out what he's saying there. It's not that he's embarrassed or trying to shun the whole situation. It was a way of protecting and, and their integrity and maintaining their, their honor uh, with one another and before the people, which, had they not, may have caused a lot of problems later. They want to do all things rightly in every way they can. And in verse 16, Naomi says, Asked the obvious question, you know, so how did it go? And Ruth told her everything that Boaz had done for her, gives her the whole story, and you can just feel the excitement in the air. They're past the silver lining of the situation, they're past just seeing through the clouds, the sun is out, things seem to be moving forward, new wind in the sails. In verse 18, Naomi said, the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. I love that verse. I think it shows again her wisdom as being an, an elderly woman and her experience that she's had. I, I think Ruth maybe was still unsure. She might have been like, I don't know, you know, what's going to happen? Am I going to have to marry this other guy now? Not sure is how God's going to work this out and I really, you know, this is the guy that I really want I believe Naomi knows, and she saw from the beginning that Boaz had feelings and had a kind heart towards Ruth, and she's like, hey, don't worry, he's not resting, he's working this out, he's going to figure it out, whatever happens, he's going he's to solve the problems, he wants you, he loves you, and he's going to do whatever it takes to make sure that this works out, that he is the one that can step into the, be our family redeemer, and then the story continues next week. For those of you who aren't reading through the whole book. But in conclusion, I want to leave you guys with something else. As I talked a lot about hope, I want to remind us of the hope we have in Christ. And I think there's this really cool thing that we can do with this story. We can apply this story as an analogy, as a, an allegory of our relationship with Christ. It's just as Boaz is to Ruth, so Christ is to the church. And we are the bride of Christ, and he is our redeemer. Ephesians 5:25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loves the church and gave himself up for her, <clears throat> so that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Just as Boaz sought to redeem Ruth, to protect her, to provide for her, so Christ has redeemed us we have been redeemed by Christ. We are protected by Christ. We are provided for by Christ. And we are washed clean. We are made perfect, made white as snow by Christ's action. And just as Ruth is, in the way that Ruth approaches him, Ruth is this image of the church. This image of how we can approach In her approach to Boaz, Ruth was humble. She lay at his feet. She came in humbly and yet bold, calling Boaz to action. I think of Hebrews 4.16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We have a hope and a confidence in Jesus Christ today. We are deeply, deeply loved by him. And in this, we can come to our Father humbly, because we know it's not because of us that we can even come close to him. It's not our actions that allow us to come into God's presence. So we come humbly, knowing that God is mighty, but we can also come with boldness and confidence, knowing that the work that Christ did is complete. So when you see Jesus Christ as your hope and your redeemer, you will feel both a call to action, I believe, and you will also be given the strength to move. The story of Christ and his church is a love story. Just as Boaz would not rest until the matter was resolved. Jesus will not rest. He will fight for you to the end. He did. He died for you, and he rose for you. He gave victory over death to us today. That is a hope we can stand on. I want to invite the band to come back up. So let this story of Ruth and Boaz <laughs> remind you today of the great hope you have in christ and the great love that he has for you this is something that we can all stand on and know that we are not hopeless we are not without a future we have christ and he is always our new hope let's worship together